There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Slankson. Yes, and me, Ian Morris. Ian there, perched on uh, on the flange of this week's show. <laughs> what does that even mean? We're also joined for the very first time live uh, in our Discord with many of our patrons. This is very, very exciting. If you're one of the people listening live, hello. If you're not and you'd like to, uh, then you can join us at patreon.com slash UKTech. And thank you to every patron supporting us every week there. Uh, if you are a patron and you're not listening live, then this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free versions, our extended cuts, our weekly columns, live streaming, access to our Discord members club for chatting with us through the week, head to patreon.com slash UKTech and find out how you can support us for as little as one US dollar a week. And thank you to Matthew Riley, Mike Charles, Toby Roberts, Liam Daly and Michael Wigmore who just edited their pledge up uh, for joining us over the last few days. Let's move into some news. Game, you know game. It's trying everything to turn its struggling retail business around, Engadget correctly reported this week, uh, and wrote that the company has announced a partnership with Mobile Network 3. It's going to trial store-in-a-store type installations in 15 London game shops where people can come in, buy SIM cards, top-ups, and uh, and smartphones, of course. Now, Game already sells phones as part of its trade-in service. You sometimes see them in the window when you walk past for sale. But this is a move to see if it can basically become a phone retailer, essentially. Now, I think this is a really interesting move for a couple of reasons, but chief amongst them is the fact that I think Game knows that mobile gaming is now a big, 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 big thing and isn't going to go away. So being a place where you can go and buy the phone, you can buy the SIM card, you can buy the vouchers for the app stores, or you can buy the codes for the game downloads, that gives you a reason potentially to go into a game store if they can offer decent bundles, I would say, for um, for smartphones and things you want to do on smartphones. It also potentially opens up their ability to offer discounts or promotions on some of this stuff, maybe working with developers, and then um, and then encouraging them to go into the store to to get those discounts. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I sort of get what you're what you're going with here, but I mean, I don't understand why three or anyone needs more retailers in an in an era where you just go on the internet, clicky on the mouse, and buy a SIM card. Well, I suppose part of it is that if you're walking down a shopping centre and you see a sign in a window for a cheap phone, you might want to go and get it. But the thing is, does everyone not just... I assume that everyone just assumes the same as me in that I'll look at a thing in a window and I'll go, I bet there's cheaper online, and then I'll go and look online and I'll almost certainly be right, especially with phone retailers, because, you know, those deals in store are rarely the best deals. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it might be that there are special deals in store that you cannot get online, and maybe that, and so maybe there is a reason. I should have a look sometime, but I, I would be surprised. And I do go into mobile phone shops, um, but I, I haven't really. I know, don't believe that that's the case. So, mm. well, Richard uh, in uh, the chat room says that he reckons games, a game, could be more like a coffee shop for gamers. We go and hang out. <clears throat> that would make sense. I mean, like stick a Costa in there. There's a plinking Costa everywhere else, isn't there? 
Yeah, uh, John says it'd be cool to go and hook up with other Switch players for local multiplayer as well, which I agree. That would be that would be very interesting. Um, well, if you have any interesting ideas about how game could make a bigger deal of its stores, let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Bad news for Uber, sort of something we could start a topic with every week. Uh, this week, it had its license suspended in Sheffield following a failure by the company to respond to requests about the firm's management. Uh, the city council says Uber can't operate after the 18th of December, although it also said if it chooses to appeal this suspension, it can continue to operate until the appeal is heard. If it decides against an appeal, the suspension will come into force. Now, this is really interesting for me for two reasons. One, I was born in Sheffield, so it's a great opportunity to talk about the place I was born. And secondly, I wrote the story for Bloomberg, so I was kind of a bit neck deep in this. Now, I spoke to Uber about it. They said the company informed Sheffield's council in October that the named individual on its license in Sheffield needed to be changed because that person was leaving the company. That makes sense. But Uber said the council wouldn't let it just change the name on the license. Instead, it would have to apply for an entirely new license. And there's something else that happened that made me laugh a bit. Specifically, Uber told me, it didn't get the letter requesting the detail about the management in the first place because Sheffield sent it to the wrong address, <laughs> which is a real, really funny. Um, now, the ruling follows a similar decision, of course, by London's transport regulator, which proposed Uber should be banned from the capital uh, because of safety concerns. And actually, the appeal, I think, is this this week. It's on the 11th. In fact, tomorrow the appeal is. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to follow. But uh, but bad news for Uber. I mean, I imagine it'll be sorted because it, it, it seems like an administrative error rather than a grave uh, review of its operations, as was well, the case I mean, in London. Yes, but I mean, that can't be different in Sheffield, can it? I mean, th- there must be the same overall concerns um, with Uber everywhere, I would have thought. I, I, I don't understand why that it would be the case that London is somehow more worried about it than anyone else. The UK has 5 million people using Uber, and I suspect the vast majority of those are in London. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not going to get banned in London. It's not going to get banned in Sheffield. It's not going to happen. Um, for one thing, if you get public transport in this country these days, it's so bad a lot of the time that I've become quite reliant on... Sometimes if a, if a train just isn't running, I'll just think, oh, I, I, I'll get an Uber then. I mean, it, it's a lot more money, obviously, but um, sometimes you don't have a lot of choice. I was stood on a platform the other night for over an hour waiting for a train with no information on the boards. I mean, my Twitter was obviously full of uh, profanity but um yeah the, I, I and you can't get an answer from southwestern railways you call them on the information line they don't pick up you try and call them on the phone they don't pick up they won't tweet because they've got they're overrun apparently with uh, requests and it you know i i am of the opinion that information is the key to anything and they just don't give you information so anyway right um <laughs> If you have any views on Uber, uh, let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Specifically, of course, Uber and Sheffield, because that's what the story was about. Ian, I absolutely loved the BBC's write-up of the news this week that plans to introduce a, quote, frowning pile of poo emoji have, and this is a quote from the BBC article, been flushed from the latest proposals by the group in charge of creating the symbols. The BBC 
generally in its reporting, a bit like Bloomberg, in fact, is quite straight. It's here are the facts. Let's um, let's not color them with opinion or anything else. We'll just tell people what they need to know and let them make their own decision. I feel this story was either written by a reporter that didn't have a sub-editor and was maybe on his or her last day, or the sub <laughs> they did have a sub-editor and the sub-editor was having a little bit of fun with the story because the puns continued into the second paragraph. <clears throat> this is a quote. The symbol was floated as one of many to be introduced in 2018, but it angered typographers who said it was embarrassing to the group. <laughs> it continued into the third paragraph, quote, the Unicode Consortium pushes out a central list of emoji so that they show up <laughs> properly on different devices. <laughs> and finally, the fourth paragraph didn't escape the puns either. Quote, it said changes to the pile of poo emoji had not been totally dumped as individual oh. manufacturers could choose how to design uh, individual emoji. Now, we've... <laughs> It's a it's a lovely write up. It was a lot of fun, and I'm amazed that it managed to get through the BBC filter. No, I'm I'm not that amazed because it it is a silly topic. It doesn't like really warrant a news story at all. But if you're going to write it up, you might as well have some fun with it. It's true. And Luke's preempted the second part of this story in uh, Discord um, because yes, we've seen this as an uh, this is an, another rather there is another amusing example where Google <sighs> put the cheese within a cheeseburger emoji underneath the burger patty, which apparently is incorrect. Apple, LG, HTC and Microsoft all correctly, I used that in inverted commas, place the cheese on top of the meat. Google has since changed its design. With uh, The argument was about, uh, actually made its way up to CEO Sundar Pichai who comically vowed to quote, drop everything else we are doing and address this. What I well, find... I've got to say, Nate, I completely believe that. Given the quality of Google's services, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they did and I think they're still working on it. Now, um, the reason that I found this particularly amusing, of course, is because we've had an argument once about a cheeseburger emoji, and now we've had an argument over the poop emoji. What is it about the spectrum of digestive movement that makes emoji so controversial when the two clash? We haven't seen this with anything else. I mean, we have. We've had the, you know, what's that um, rather um, sexualized looking vegetable called? <laughs> uh, the aubergine or yes, the, the eggplant thank you the aubergine yes or egg is that what americans call an aubergine yes they do yes oh. it's not completely senseless like some things like the fact that americans insist on saying herb like the french but can't say niche if you're an american who's been offended by ian this week <laughs> feel free to let us know hello at techpodcast.uk Well, Gizmodo covered the news this week that the BBC has announced that following the conclusion of its natural history documentary series Blue Planet 2 on Sunday, that's the day we're recording today, it'll be uploading the entire series to the BBC iPlayer in 4K HDR. It's the first time a series is going to be made available on the iPlayer in 4K in full. This is amazing news. It's a brilliant news for the iPlayer because, of course, anyone in the UK who pays a license fee gets... Uh, access to the iPlayer, no extra cost, and the fact that it's moving to 4K now is just the most amazing thing ever. I can imagine ISPs are a little bit worried, perhaps, if this sets a new trend, because, you know, they've been a, probably absorbing quite a lot of traffic already from Netflix and the like, and if the BBC iPlayer uh, starts jumping on this bandwagon too, that's going to... Um 
it's, cause, it's going to cause some potential congestion issues, but maybe they've prepared this time. Um, I don't think it's that much data. I mean, you know, it is a lot, but it's not devastating. It's about 25 megabits per second. Is down. it really? Yeah. Well, I should be checking it out then, although I can't, I can't do HDR. And I can't really do 4K either because my monitor's an ultra wide instead of a, you know, a 4K. There's some highlights in in all this because I, there's a, a fantastic BBC research and development team blog on this subject that really went into huge detail, beautifully nerdy detail about the whole process of doing the ultra HD stuff. And I picked out a few of my personal favourite little um, highlights here. Now, firstly, the B started planning for the ultra HD thing over the summer but it was only the first week of this month when they were the, the episodes were de- delivered on a hard disk to bbc r&d i love that it still comes on a hard disk um presumably though because of point two here it had to, it was in a raw format yeah it, the bbc said encoding each episode into h265 or higher um hevc format um, as well as a, a dozen lower resolution versions, took an entire day per episode, an entire day to encode one of these episodes. Um, so for seven minutes, that's basically a week of constant rendering just to produce this one program. Um, the show was shot at 25 frames a second, which means the highest quality version in 4K when it comes out will use 22.7 megabits per second of data. So you're going to need something like, as I said earlier, about a 25 megabit per second connection in order to stream it but by moving to h265 as opposed to h264 which it currently uses it means that regular hd broadcasts could get a boost in future the iplayer currently puts out hd content at 720p and at 50 frames a second but it will now be able to increase this to 900p so almost full hd at 50 frames uh, which is what's been trialed as well with blue planet 2 so if you don't even have a 4k tv you're going to see a much higher quality stream potentially than you would um, for for other programs. So it's really setting a new kind of benchmark for the iPlayer. And as a side note, the BBC actually encodes 1080 versions um, of all its programs in the back end. It just doesn't actually make them available to stream. Uh, But they are there. They do exist. So I I can tell you that I I feel like evidence is mounting that there's going to be a big 4K push um, coming this year on iPlayer or next year on iPlayer because they're also they've moved production of Doctor Who over to a new set of cameras which are not massively different to the ones that they had Um, but they're also switching to uh, anamorphic lenses and there's a very geeky thing that you know comes about when you do that uh, but <clears throat> the idea is it's going to look very filmic um but i suspect that a lot of this is all about providing a a 4k service of some kind quite soon because they're obviously moving everything over that way it must be i mean at the moment the process from what i understand is still very manual so most in fact all the bbc iplayer content is kind of automated they've got a name for it but i can't remember what it is um but it, it basically automates the entire programming so you put in the raw feed and it spits out all the relevant versions uploads it to the iplayer backend it's sort of all yeah. done in a package but the 4k stuff is basically being done manually so yeah. the, the team is physically is manually encoding it manually uploading it so they need to upgrade that content delivery system if you like 
um, in order to take advantage of 4K and, and streamline this process. Plus, most of the BBC stuff isn't even shot in 4K yet. Um, no. You know, so... Although a lot of it increasingly, a lot of those drama productions are shot, probably shot, probably are shot in 4K um, and then, you know, that detail thrown away because it, it's not so expensive to edit 4K anymore. Um, it, no. And it, it probably makes some sense at least to shoot in the format because ultimately, and in fact, actually a lot of cameras these days um, could shoot you a 4K copy and a and a lower resolution copy, um, which you could then use. So that's that's true. Yeah, I mean, anything that's shot in a studio is unlikely to move to 4K anytime soon because it requires upgrading all the fixed cameras. But stuff that's shot on sets by third-party production companies, like um, the most recent series of Red Dwarf, uh, was all shot at 4K. In fact, I think it was shot at 5K. So, yeah, probably. You so know, it's red, isn't it? It's a red production. They're, they're red epics, yeah. Um, so technically, all that could... Uh, could <laughs> it's eventually... such a waste on that particular programme, though. Now, John's asking in, uh, in our Discord chat at the moment whether we think 4K will eventually come to free view. The, the answer is almost certainly not, because... No, do you I... not think so? I, I believe it will. On Freeview, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think the spectrum would have to be changed. Oh, you can do you can do it. I'm. It's just a matter of what compromises you're prepared to make. For example, I've always said that Freeview should really be just a very uh, a small number of extra channels. I, I don't see the point of twenty seven shopping channels. I, I I would rather they cut it all back to the absolute high end you know quality and did stuff like 4k you can do it it's just whether or not um they're prepared to you know say bye-bye to that extra revenue i just yeah i because i th- i think part of the problem is that if it's delivered over ip over the internet then yes you 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 could do that and so the streaming services can do it but i there's a there's a much more physical limit when you're talking about a yeah, broadcast over it, the airwaves can, it's like dab it's, like dab radio yeah they, that's true they use I like a multiplex that that mul- the, the, the multiplexes can easily handle it. They're, I think they're forty two megabits per second or something, so they could do it mm. with H two six five. Ultimately, uh, perhaps we have to accept the fact that Freeview isn't really uh, going to be the future, and people are going to probably want to do it over the internet. Yeah, and increasingly already are doing. Um, but it would it would be interesting if the iPlayer starts taking four K versions of some classic films because he's putting a lot of box sets up for viewing at Christmas. Uh, for example, the everyone's favorite Christmas cl- classic Mary Poppins, which is shown on demand ev- uh, on queue every single Christmas would look supercalifragilisticexpialidocious in 4k on iPlayer. I would say. Right. Let's move into our mailbag. We've had a few messages this week. Uh, first one comes in, from Paul Middleton, who says, thanks for the great podcast. Um, You were talking about bank security. I bank with Barclays, and their mobile app is only secured by a five-digit code. Admittedly, someone who got my phone would have to get past the fingerprint scan to unlock the phone, but a fingerprint is only as good as the manual unlock code used. Um, Also, I'd like your opinion on antivirus on phones. Barclays have recently removed the offer of free Kaspersky software due to Russian connections. Is it worth it? Um, if you ask AVG, the antivirus firm, they will tell you it's definitely worth it. Uh, but you're asking me, and I think probably not. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to run it on an iPhone anyway. And on an Android, do you really need it? I mean, the advantage really is to help other people. 
it's if you get emailed a file and you open it on your android the antivirus may kick in and say hey there's a windows virus in this maybe we'll clean it for you so that when you forward it on to somebody you're not forwarding them a virus but i can't think of any better reason to use antivirus on a phone to be honest at this point but no. maybe maybe i'm just unaware of some bigger risks in the android antivirus world yeah i, I mean I, well because like, i yeah um, I, well, I think, you know, there's some much bigger concerns built into Android than that. Mm. Uh, Richard Taylor in Discord is saying if you have Android, you need antivirus. So that's that's interesting. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Richard, maybe you can send us a, an email in with some thoughts on, on why, and we can we can tell Paul uh, about that. Uh, Steve Brown has, almost, has also emailed in. Uh, we're going to be talking about broadband again, Ian, our favorite topic. Uh, Steve says... I've installed a Devolo 1200 system in my house. This is a power line thing, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He says, I've got no time tied to Devolo at all. So apparently what's about to come is a glowing report. Uh, the solution provides you with gigabit ports and Wi-Fi AC, so 802.11ac access points in each room that's previously only ever had very sketchy connectivity due to the layout of the house. I have SkyQ and I'm streaming HD content over this solution whilst also using tablets, phones, etc. And I have no problems at all. Um, he's tried some other brands as well. Um, he says that he thinks I implied I might need to be shipping 300 megabits of data around my network, uh, which which is true. I do. We have four, multiple 4K streams sometimes coming into the house if I'm in my office and Kate's watching something on Netflix. Um, plus, we do a lot of shipping around of media uh, for text message. Ian, when Ian sends me his local recording for the show each week, that's about seven or eight hundred megabytes, and then it all gets mixed in in my end. And, and having it faster means I can edit the show faster, which means I can, you know, get back to eating crisps in my underwear on the sofa a little sooner. So that's that's a quite specific reason about why I need that speed. Um, who else have we got here? John Drake. Ian, do you want to take this one? Hi, Nate. <clears throat> what am I here? <laughs> Interesting discussion on this week's podcast. A couple of additional points to consider. Uh, most games now require large patches, updates to be downloaded anyway before they can be played, even if you've bought a physical copy. That's very true. Uh, I buy digital versions of Xbox games because they allow sharing with a family member or a close friend, i.e. two of us can play the same game at the same time for the cost of one copy. Uh, this is true uh, of the Xbox Live subscription too. I'd have to buy two copies of the same game to do the same with the physical version. Uh, love the podcast. Proud to be a Patreon su uh, supporter. Keep up the good work. John. That's that's very interesting. I didn't know that Xbox digital copies allowed sharing. Yes. Well, I mean, so I haven't any experience with that, but I'm certainly aware that uh, when you buy a digital copy, you, you get one on your Xbox and one on your PC if you want. Uh, I bought Forza. If I had an Xbox One, it would appear in my game library. Um and I, but I have personally haven't tried playing both at the same time. But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I suppose that's the way it's going, really. Because why not? That's interesting. Because I mean, that is particularly uh, useful. I would imagine then for multiplayer games, because if you want to play, I don't know, not Destiny, because that's on the PlayStation. But if if you wanted, it's on both now. Is it on both now? Oh, oh Destiny, Destiny Two is multi-platform. Yeah. Yes, so. of course it is. Um, but if you've got a game on Xbox. And you want to play it with a friend, but the friend doesn't have that game. You could essentially let them use your spare digital copy or whatever in order to play with you. Which well, is... the problem is that yes, I mean, but of course, what you're doing is you're using the same user account, so it has to be someone you trust. It's not like Steam family sharing, which I believe 
enables you to bind some accounts to your Steam library and then that allows people to do certain amounts of sharing. I, I don't know how it works because I haven't done it, but my uh, brother-in-law has two older uh, kids, not older kids, but kids who play Steam games a lot and they have some elaborate family sharing thing set up that enables them to all play the same stuff at the same time or something. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, if anyone else has had experience with that, uh, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Very interested in uh, in hearing that. Anyway, thank you to everybody who's been emailing in. Um, we're now going to check in, I think, with Mr. Tom Merritt of Daily Tech News Show and hear what's been going on in the wider world of technology. Tom. Hello, friends. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked about whether underscores will lead to the downfall of the web, the growing responsibility of platforms like YouTube for what people say on their platforms, how much energy Bitcoin mining is using, spoiler, it's a lot, the change in how Patreon charges its processing fees, and what hackers think of the revelation that Uber paid an attacker to keep quiet about a breach. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week uh, on the show. Thank you to everybody who's supporting us at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And thank you to the amazing people who have already joined our Discord and have been listening live this week. If you are supporting us at the $2 level uh, or now the $1.70 level, if you are on our new fee adjusted $2 level, thanks for making that confusing, Patreon, um, then you can join our Discord it's free. It's been brilliant this this week, haven't it, mate? We've been chatting. We've got a, a few dozen people in the Discord, and we're all chatting with each other through the week, and that's how we're doing the show live. Uh, I'm just going to ask everybody now, did you enjoy the live show this week? Well, I did, of course, yeah, because it's, it's, it's like doing radio. It's fun. Well, the chat room is being filled with things like, yes, in all caps, wonderful, lots of thumbs up, yes, yarp. I assume that means yes. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's been amazing. This is the first time we've ever done it live with the exception of our 100th episode that we did in a studio. Um, but uh, we're going to be doing this every every week as possible for, uh, for yeah. all of our regular shows. Although the time is inevitably going to end up hopping around quite a bit, isn't it? I mean, we, we try and do it the same time every week and reasonably it's okay. But there are times when either you or I can't manage it and uh, then we have to move it. Yeah, and we'll always let people know ahead of time uh, when that is and, um, and and try and do most of the shows live. Um, but otherwise, the, the Patreon uh, version is uh, is obviously available too, uh, which is essentially as live, except with much better sound quality because Ian and I record locally at both ends. Yeah. So thank you to everybody. Uh, let us know any thoughts you have. Hello at techpodcast.uk and we will see you in a week. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.